Last Sunday evening, we looked at, this, looked at the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? And we talked about an invitation song. And the invitation song is extended to those who are not Christians many times. And we offer an invitation at every service, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, actually twice on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And then um, when we have a Bible study on Wednesday evening, we offer an invitation. Gospel meetings, we offer an invitation. But that invitation is not just for those who are not Christians, but it's for those who are Christians also. And so I want to talk about that uh, those, that, that group, uh, those of us who are Christians, because sometimes we sin. And I've been asked occasionally why or when or how often or do I need to go forward. And so I want to try to answer that question for us today. One of the things I want us to realize is that we're not perfect. The Bible tells us that we sin. In James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, we find the passage of Scripture there that says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. One of the things that I would like for us to notice about that verse are some of the words that I have underlined there. It is talking about brethren, those who are members of the body of Christ, Christians, those that have obeyed the Gospel, been buried with our Lord in baptism. We rise to walk that new life. But the Bible also tells us that as Christians we sin. And here is an example of someone or a case where brethren do err from the truth. And I think that that's important to realize that we can, as Christians, err from the truth. Now, I know that there are some denominations that teach that once saved, always saved, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that as a Christian, we may sin, we may err from the truth. And then it goes on and it talks about that one that it needs to be converted, and that's the one that has erred from the truth, that one that is caught up in sin, that one that may be teaching something that's false, that one that's living a lifestyle that is not what God wants it to be. They need to change. And so if one works with that individual or helps them to change, then that's something that is important because it results in their being saved. That soul that was lost, that Christian that was lost, can be restored back to the fold of God. And that's important because we realize that when we remain in sin or in that sinful condition, that death will come. And that death that it's talking about is not physical death. It is talking about spiritual death where we will be eternally separated from God. And as I point out from time to time, when we talk about that separation from God, it is nothing like what... Hell will be nothing like anything we've experienced here on earth. In hell, we will not have any benefits, any blessings from God. While we're here on earth, we still are blessed by God. Even those that reject God, refuse to acknowledge God, and those that claim to be atheists, that don't believe that there's even a God that exists, still are blessed by God in this life. The sun shines, the rain falls, harvest time, all the good things that God has blessed us with, they still receive those blessings. In hell, there will be no God and they will be eternally separated from Him. And so when I say there's no God, I'm talking about no God in hell because He will be in heaven and that's where we want to go. And that's why we extend the invitation. We want people to go to heaven. I want people to be saved. I hope you want me to be saved. 
And so we see there in that passage of the Scripture that brethren can err and they need to be converted and they need to be brought back into the fold. But some religions we can see out in the religious world have made a confession a, an elaborate ritual. Some require discussing your sin with a member of the clergy. That's not what the Bible says we need to do. The Bible teaches us that we are to confess our faults one to another. And so when somebody comes forward, you know, I handle it most of the time because I'm the preacher. But when they're whispering in my ear or give me a card, it's not because I'm a member of the clergy and that's what we have to do. We could confess that sin to other people. And we could take care of it in other ways and we'll discuss that in a little bit. But what I want to do this morning is to examine the biblical foundation for the idea of confession. What we need to do. First of all, I want to look at to whom must confession be made. Confession must be made to those who have been harmed by your sin. All sin is against God. And we confess our sin also to Him. But when I talk about that sin that hurts and harms other people, what I'm saying is that when we sin and it harms someone else, we need to acknowledge that sin with that individual. It's not enough that let's say you have a big argument at work with someone and there's a big scene and you say things that you shouldn't say and you do things that you shouldn't do. And it may be even at a family gathering where that happens and it's between you and them. You can't just walk down this aisle and say, I'm sorry for what I've done and repent and that's it. I tell people that when you had a problem with someone and they've come up here and sat and they say, yeah, I got into an argument with somebody and I said awful things and I wish I hadn't said it. What I will say is that you need to go talk to that individual that you had the problem with. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. God may forgive you, but you still need to take care of that sin with that individual to do it the right way. And then God will wash away that sin by the blood of Christ. But all sin not only is against those that we hurt, but all sin is against God and it must be confessed to Him. David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he knew that he had sinned against God. Because it tells us in Psalm chapter 51, beginning in verse 1, he's talking to God. He says, "...have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression." Wash me thoroughly with my iniquity, or from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be cleared when thou judgest. David realized that what he had done, even though it hurt other people, was also a sin against God that he needed to take care of with God. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, John writes to us and he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it again, it is talking to brethren, members of the body of Christ, people that have obeyed the Gospel. We, we, we do not have the right to say that we're above sin, that we don't sin that we have no sin that we need to take care of. The Bible shows us here that if we say we have no sin, then the truth is, in, is not in us and that we're liars. And so we need to understand that it's possible for us 
that as Christians that we sin and we need to examine ourselves. And I kind of look at it like this. You know, I, I, I've been working on my roof for a couple of weeks. I finally got it finished. I had an inspector come out to tell me whether it was okay or not. And my thought is, and anybody that works with inspectors realize that if they want to find something wrong, they will find something wrong. And so I look at it that way with God. Am I so perfect that I can say, God, I'm a perfect specimen. I have no sin. Do you think God could look at me and find something? I'll tell you this, God wouldn't have to look very far to find something. None of us are perfect. We continually need the blood of Christ. And the Bible tells us here that we need to examine ourselves and when we realize our sin, we confess that sin and God is faithful and just to forgive that sin. And so we acknowledge it. And that's what God wants us to do. If we confess it, then God will cleanse us from our sin by the blood of Christ. If you have your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 8. It's more than just an admission of guilt. Confession also requires that we change our future ways. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thou money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Here we find an example of someone who had obeyed the gospel. Now, I know that there are religious people out there in the religious world that would say, once saved, always saved, and that Simon obviously was not saved to begin with. But the Bible says that he was a believer and that he was baptized. So if the Bible says that he was a believer, then he was a Christian. He had obeyed the Gospel. And so I'm not going to argue with that. Simon was a Christian, but yet when he wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit with money, he sinned. And Peter points that out to him and tells him what does he need to do? Repent and pray. That's what he tells him to do. And then we see where we have the authority to pray for other people because what does the Bible say in the next verse? Paul or Peter says, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. So Simon was instructed to pray. Ask God for forgiveness is what we would expect him to pray to God. Acknowledge his sin and ask God's forgiveness. And then he turns around and asks Peter to pray for him. Which gives us a power and authority to pray for other people when they ask for our prayers. And so it is very important that we look at that example because it shows us that we have the authority to help other people when it comes to their changing their ways and repenting of sin and they're confessing that fault to God. Many of our sins also, as I mentioned, harm other people. And when our sins is known to others, we are obligated to confess the fault at least to those who are privy to that situation. 
When we sin, if I sin and God's the only one that knows about it, that may be through a thought process or where I think something that I shouldn't think. God knows that I'm thinking that that thought needs to go away. But I also need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. That would be a private sin, something that I'm doing that only me and God know about. But then there are other times that I may sin where one or two people, two or three people, four or five people may know about it and no one else. I can take care of that sin by talking to those other individuals and confessing my fault or my sin to that individual, to those individuals, and have it taken care of that way. And I also still have to confess it to God. But there are sins that we may commit that are so public that everyone knows about it. Maybe everyone in the community knows about it. And it would be impossible to go to every single individual and say, that I'm sorry that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. And so we offer a public way so that people can repent. Let everyone know that this is what we're doing. This is what I want to do. This is the changes that I've made in my life. And then we can say, well, when somebody says, well, you know, that guy over there at the church, that Leonard White guy, I know what he did. You can say, yeah, I know. And Leonard White took care of that problem in a public way. That's how we acknowledge our sin. And altercations that are private need to be settled between you and that individual alone. Jesus talks about that. And there's a reason for that. If I have a squabble with some one individual, and that, or, and after I have that squabble, I go tell everybody, all my friends, what a low life that guy is, then what have I done? I have made the the problem a whole lot bigger because what I could have taken care of with this one individual, I have now brought everyone else into it, which makes it much harder to fix. It's like going up here on the roof with a bag of feathers, opening that bag of feathers, and on a windy day, just shaking all those feathers out and then going and trying to collect all those feathers back. Impossible to do. That's why when you have a problem with one individual, you take care of it with that one individual. You have it with two people, take care of it with two people. Don't blow it up into something that it does not need to be. Jesus tells us what to do if that one-on-one situation doesn't work. You take two or three witnesses with you. Why do you take two or three witnesses with you? Because it's very possible that you could be wrong. So when you take your two or three witnesses with you to go confront this individual, don't take people that you've already said, hey, you know, that guy's awful. You know what all he's done? And you talk about everything that he's done. Take people that would uh, be impartial. Take people that you know that if you're wrong, they're going to tell you you're wrong. And then don't get mad at them. Because it is possible that you're the one in the wrong, not that individual. So think about those things. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And He tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. And then He goes on to explain, if you take two or three witnesses and he doesn't hear, uh, listen, then you can take it to the church. So there is a point where we publicize it, but it's not in the beginning of the problem. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Therefore, 
If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ are so important that Jesus is saying, before you bring your gift of worship, before you come to worship God, Take care of that relationship with each other. Wow! How many times have we seen that violated in our lives? How many have we? How many times have we violated it ourselves? Settle the matter before you come before God to worship. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In the New King James Version, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another. In, those, in that verse of Scripture, when it talks about faults, it's not talking about the physical sicknesses. That same word is used in Galatians chapter 6. In verse 1, when it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He's not talking about physical ailments. He's talking about sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When a brother has asked for forgiveness, we must be willing to accept his request or her request. We cannot hold grudges. We can't tie strings to it. And I want to address another situation that sometimes I hear people say, I'm not going to forgive them because they haven't asked. Well, did anybody say when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, you know, as they were pounding those nails into his hands, would you please forgive us for doing this? What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did Stephen pray when uh, he was being stoned to death? I don't recall reading where anyone that was being stoned or throwing the stone said, Stephen, forgive us for this. Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And I think that those are two examples that we can work with that teach us that we should have a forgiving attitude. Now, will that individual, will those individuals that crucified Christ, will those individuals that stoned Stephen, would they be forgiven just by me having a heart of forgiveness? No. Absolutely not. They have to take care of that sin themselves still. They have to confess that sin to God or they need to be baptized into Christ to have that sin washed away, which is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. I believe that some of those individuals that were there when Jesus was being nailed to the cross was there the day on, were there on the day of Pentecost when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had been told they crucified Christ, the Son of God. They cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what did they need to do? Now Jesus had already said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Was, was their sin taken care of in their own personal way? No. 
They still had to take care of it themselves. And so have an attitude where you're forgiving. That way when someone asks you, you haven't harbored a grudge or had hatred in your heart for such a long period of time that when they do ask you, it's impossible for you to do it. Have that forgiving spirit already in place. Always in place. Be willing to let go. Because sometimes people hang on to things for so long that they can't let go. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. God has forgiven us. And they set an example for us that we need to follow when it comes to forgiving others. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Put on therefore the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forgive others. That's what we're asked to do by God. Why? Because Jesus is our example, God is our example. That's who we need to be following. Forgiving any complaint is what God wants us to do, just as the Lord forgives us. And for the same reason, confession to our brother must be more than just words. There should be an effort to correct the wrong that we have committed. That's called restitution. Sometimes you have to help make right what you've done that is wrong. If I go out and you know I have that argument with that individual and then I go and destroy his reputation, then I should be out working to rebuild his reputation. If he asks for forgiveness, I'm going to be the one that's going to be out there saying, yeah, I know. I said a lot of bad things about him. But guess what? I was wrong. He, was doing, he did what was right. I did what was wrong. We need to be willing to do that. And so think about those things. At times, the harm that we do with our sinning has a far-reaching impact. You know, sometimes I hear people say, it only affects me. It doesn't only affect you, it affects a lot of people. It's like looking out on that pond that is nice, you know, nice and smooth, and you take that rock and you throw it in and you see those ripples, those rings that just start to radiate out from the impact of the rock. That's what happens. Our lives have a tremendous impact on a lot of people around us. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16, through 16, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is telling us that our life is an example to those around us. That it will have an impact on people for good or it will have an impact on evil for bad. Jesus wants us to be a light. We see what a light does in darkness. Many times when it's dark outside, you may be somewhere where there's no light and if you look way off in the distance, you may see an airplane in the sky or you may see a light off in the distance. But that light has an impact. You can see it. And that's what God's telling us. That our life has an impact on other people. And so think about the sin in your life. 
And when you don't want to take care of that sin, think of the impact that it has on all of those that are around you. It's important to think about that. You see, each one of us as Christians, and that's who I'm talking to this morning about the uh, erring from the truth or sin, as a Christian, we represent Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ and we represent His church in the community around us. And when we sin, we degrade the standards the church is supposed to uphold. When I lie to someone, it shows a lack of moral character on my part, but it also implies that those who accept me tolerate my behavior. That was the problem that they had in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That a man had his father's wife, a fornicating, adulterous situation, They didn't seem to have a problem with it in the church, but the community seemed to know about it. And Paul says, not even in the the Gentiles don't even do this. What's he telling us? He's saying, listen, as a congregation of God's people, there's a standard that you live by. And as individuals in that congregation, if we're not living up to that standard, what are we saying to the world? What are we saying to those that are out there in the world that are in a lost condition. It gives the impression that when we allow wrong, and believe me, I know none of us are perfect, but that doesn't mean we ignore the sin. And we're all growing and maturing as Christians, but it gives the impression that we approve the wrongdoing if we just let it go and say nothing to the individual. In Romans chapter 1, and verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Paul is saying that it's not a, you know, you don't actually have to do it. You don't have to commit the sin like the individual, but sometimes you have pleasure in watching it or pleasures in being entertained by it. And so think about those things because that's just as bad. You see, a brother among the church there at Corinth had committed fornication and he had to be withdrawn from. Paul said, don't keep company with individuals like that. Why? Because it's given the church a bad name. It's given Christ a bad name. And so that individual needed to be dealt with and the point was withdraw from that individual. Why? So that they realize the seriousness of the sin that they're involved with. And they're delivered to Satan. And hopefully they wake up and realize, hey, this is not a good thing. I need to change my ways. When they turn from their sin, they need to be forgiven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, that individual, it appears, had changed. And Paul says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, "...but if any, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. 
So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with much sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you should, or that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. So apparently this individual who had his father's wife repented. He had changed. That would mean that he gave her up. He didn't have that relationship anymore. And now he's come back to the church and he's asked for forgiveness. Paul saying, comfort that individual, accepting back so that he's not over, gets to a point where he's overcharged with the pain of what he has done. Don't make him feel guilty and continue to make him feel guilty. Forgive him. That's where it gets back to having that forgiving spirit that when someone does repent, you're willing to let go of it. And that's what Paul's encouraging them to do. Because notice that he had caused grief to the brethren. And now the brethren were to comfort him. In Acts chapter 19, verse 17 through 20, we find another example. And this was known of all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Here in this passage of Scripture, we find many that believed. So they were believers. And what did they do when they repented? They showed their works. They got rid of that stuff. They got rid of those books that had the magical arts in it and those things that they should not have had in their life. So you see a change. It wasn't enough just to say, yeah, we're changing. I'm sorry for what I've done. Their actions also had to show that they had changed. And so you see, one of the things you can learn from this, there are some things that just need to be destroyed. You know, some books need to be burned. Today, some books need to be burned because they're nothing but filth and garbage. And here we see an example where they did that and they even showed the value of it. But they showed their change. It wasn't enough just to say it. Their actions also had to demonstrate it. And according to these verses, they believed and were convicted of their error and they came confessing and showed their deeds. The teaching of this passage seems to be this. The individually, the individuals openly acknowledge that they have been wide, or things that have been widely known, and their sinfulness in practicing magic, magical acts had changed. Additionally, they brought their books that contained those curious arts, and they burned them in the sight of all. And it seems, as we read that, that Paul was involved in directing what they were doing. And so you see that there's a change that needs to take place in our lives when we repent and who we need to deal with when it comes to that. My next question would be, or next point would be, why must I confess my sin? Well, the answer is pretty simple. I want to be forgiven by God. David saw God's forgiveness. We've already read a passage of Scripture that shows us that. And he went to God and he told God, that against thee and thee only have I sinned. You see, confession is required by us for forgiveness. 
In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we look at our lives and we take care of that sin. You say, well, what if I have a sin that I don't remember? Then you would ask, I would ask God to forgive me for a sin that I may not remember. And I would acknowledge that. But I would look at my life and I would try to do the best that I could in living that life. We also not only want to be forgiven by God, but we want to restore our fellowship with God. You see, sin separates us from God. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, "...but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear you." Sin separates us from Him, from God. We cannot have fellowship while we remain in sin. As it tells us in 1 John chapter 1, and verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Yet, if we do not confess our sins to God, our sins remain. So we need to be willing to forgive or ask God for forgiveness. Plus, when we're unwilling to admit our sin, the knowledge of our nature destroys us internally. What do I mean by that? Listen to what David said in Psalms chapter 32. When he had sinned with Bathsheba, listen to what he says. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through all my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquities have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. David, it sounds like, was miserable as long as he hid that sin. Until he acknowledged that sin, he was miserable. How many of us know when we need to do something? We're miserable until we take care of it. Maybe you can't sleep at night because you know you need to confront or talk to someone about what you've done to them or said about them. Maybe you have an ulcer. You know, you got an upset stomach because you, you, you haven't dealt with the problem. All of those things eat at us and it can destroy us. Without the admission of wrong, we are living a lie. Psalm 32 and verse 2. David said, Blessed is the man unto, unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. We also want to restore fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As the man that had committed adultery or was guilty of uh, having his father's wife, he wanted to have that relationship with his brothers and sisters in Christ restored. And that should be a concern to all of us. Because how can I be in fellowship with God when I'm out of fellowship with my fellow and brothers, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? We also want to restore the honor of Christ and his people. As I said, remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him when we go out into this world. People know that we're a child of his and they have, they expect certain things out of us because they know that we're Christians. So we need to be willing to do what we need to do and to admit when we've done wrong. And when we do that, we are actually telling Christ that He was right. 
in calling what we did sinful. Our willingness to admit wrong and do right is seen by others. And it will be an encouragement to them. What confession is not? I want us to realize that when we confess, it's not a sign of a weak person. It takes a strong person to admit that they're wrong. And though David sinned, we admire his desire to do what he did that pleased God. The weakness that is displayed when we sin is not because we confess that sin. The weakness is when we committed that sin. And when a person confesses his sin, it's not a time to look down on that person, but it's a time to lend them strength. When they come and they're willing to admit their, their, their sin, they ask for forgiveness, they don't need a lecture on what got them there or what happened or anything like that. They know what happened. They just want to be forgiven. Once the realization comes and that person's willing to admit their deeds were wrong, that's a time for healing and not further rebukes. In the same light, confession is not punishment. Punishment comes when we're unrepentant. That's when punishment comes. What must I do to confess? I must have the proper heart. Confession requires humility. In Luke chapter 18, I think we see an example of humility. Beginning in verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So we must have the proper heart that we're willing to submit ourselves to our Lord. It requires sorrow. And yes, it may even require guilt. word that we don't like to have in our society. But when we've done wrong, we should feel guilty. And we should have sorrow in our hearts. Second Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, for the sorrow of the world worketh death. We have to repent. And that takes, when we realize what we've done, we're sorrowful for that. Why? Because we've hurt God. We've hurt His people. We've hurt people around us. we hurt people that love us and care for us. It requires a re- hatred for the sin and a change in our lives. We must confess and forsake that sin. Proverbs chapter 28, and verse 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God wants us to change. The Corinthian church had done many things that were wrong. They didn't waller in the mire of self-guilt, but strove to set things right. You say, well, sometimes I sin and I, I'm, I'm sincere when I say I'm sorry and I repent and I'm not going to do it again, but then it seems to happen again. Sometimes that's part of growing. Sometimes it's part of you, you need to mature. And that's what we're striving for. And all of us should be striving for that. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's part of the process. And sometimes we need to be patient with people and help them to see what they need to do. 
Sometimes that's by our own example, not by preaching a sermon to them. But we also need to realize that it requires trusting God's promise. In 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalms 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath, the, hath He removed our transgressions from us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, He says, I will remember thy sins no more. He tells us that He'll take care of that sin. I hear people say, I haven't forgiven myself. I think that it's, we're not required to forgive ourselves. We're required to trust God to forgive us. And if we trust God to forgive us, and we trust Him that He's removed it as far as the east is from the west, what do we need to do? Except believe that He's done exactly that. Trust God that He has forgiven you of the sin that you've taken care of. How can I confess my wrong? Well, I can respond to the public invitation when we sing a song at the end of the service. That's an opportunity. I may ask a preacher or elder or someone to read a statement that I would like to have read. I may have something or ask someone to put something in the bulletin. There are many different ways that we can confess our wrongs. The manner of how we acknowledge it, the manner of how we acknowledge our sin is an expedient. The necessity is a point of law. God requires it. But I can write it on a card have someone read it. I could tell someone at the end of the service that this is what I would like. There's a lot of ways that we can do it. The point is that we need to do it. And then we need to pray. The Bible tells us that we can pray for each other. And so it's very important that we realize the power of that prayer. John tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and it shall be given and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. In other words, when we repent, we've changed. That's not a sin unto death. When I refuse to change and I want to continue in that sin or I don't want to acknowledge that sin, then that's a sin unto death because it's going to be there until the end. It could cause me to be lost. So how can I pray for one that how can one pray for a brother his actual forgiveness is if he has no knowledge of what that sin is? And so we need to realize that we need to talk to God. We need to ask his forgiveness and we can pray for one another when someone repents and wants to change their life. When a person transgresses someone else, Take care of it with that individual. When it's something that's between you and God, take care of it between you and God. But prayer is something that is important because we realize that prayer is instructed when it comes to forgiveness. We ought to therefore pray for others as we've seen in the example with Simon and Peter in Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. And then request others to petition the Lord on our behalf. As we see even in James chapter 5, and verse 16, when it says, Confess your faults one to another 
We pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have been assured that when we sin, that we have Christ as our advocate who will mediate for us and that His blood will cleanse our wickedness if we will confess our sin and ask God to forgive it. But here's a sobering reality. Just as there are many people who believe that they have conformed to a plan of salvation that made them become Christians when in fact they have not done exactly what the Bible says one must do in order to be saved, they think they're in a saved condition, but they're lost. And the same is true with church members. Sometimes when we take we, we don't take care of our sin, people lay out of church for ever how long they want to stay away, and then just come back. You've got to make it right. God requires that. And when we neglect God's plan for His lost people, then we're all in trouble, or we're in trouble. And so think about it. Each Christian should examine his own life and make sure that he's right with God. And if you're not, then do something about it. God sent His Son to this earth to die for our sins. He left us the Great Commission. It says, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. This morning you can put your faith in Him. Be buried with our Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. And maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you've done something to someone. Take care of that problem with them. You don't have to broadcast it to everyone. Maybe you have a private sin in your life that you need to deal with. You don't have to broadcast that to everyone. But maybe you've done something in a public way that everyone has knowledge of it. And you need to take care of it to let people know that you've changed. That you're sorry for what you've done. And you need our prayers. We're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat on the front row while we stand.